Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Fuller's London Pride, an outstanding amber ale and the official beer of Premiership Rugby. And don't forget, you can now watch the full extended video podcast of today's show at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Support with pride and please drink responsibly. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my rugby podcast. So it was another very exciting final weekend of the Six Nations with France uh, eventually picking up their first title win and Grand Slam since 2010 and thoroughly deserved winners of that as well. I would imagine uh, we'll all have quite a bit to say about Super Saturday. So let's get straight into it and um, introduce my guests fresh back from witnessing their spectacular win uh, at the Stade de France. It is Evening Standard Sports Correspondent Simon Collings. Simon, um, I would imagine, a uh, other than the results, uh, a very enjoyable weekend in Paris. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the England fans certainly made the most of it. The Eurostar that I got into to Paris was absolutely packed. Uh, a beautiful day in France on the Saturday, wasn't it? All the bars, cafes full of fans. Isn't it amazing that, you, that when, when you're travelling from London to Paris, you seem to be able to, you know, it's a fairly seamless journey. But when, you, mm. when you've lost and you've got a hangover and you're coming back from Paris, it seems to take you about four hours, uh, <laughs> almost as long as England take to get the ball away from the breakdown. Bringing a truly international vibe to the podcast, which we don't often get to do, all the way from, I think, Tokyo in Japan. It's the man who earned more caps as Scotland's captain than any other player, Greg Laidlaw, Greg, thanks for coming on. Um, am I right? Is it uh, just outside Tokyo? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lawrence. I'm just outside Tokyo. I'm in uh, Tokyo Bay. Um, so a little bit later on in the day for me here, but a uh, pleasure to be joining you tonight. Because going from uh, from Scotland to Tokyo or France is uh, is quite some transformation. Yeah, it is. It's It's been awesome fun, to be quite honest. There's, there's been a lot of laughs uh, along the way with the whole language thing and, uh, you know, obviously not understanding what's going on and, I think when I, when I first rocked up, you know, you, whether it's going into supermarkets and stuff like that, it's very much, uh, pretty much keep keep my head down. Hopefully nobody talks to you. Yeah, I remember um, being there with my wife, Alice, and, and and obviously everyone was wearing masks and we said, well, that, that'll never catch on. Um, and obviously <laughs> here we are three years later now. Now, obviously our listeners will realise that you, you are a legend of Scottish rugby, 76 caps, uh, 39 as captain. Um, I think 714 points for your country, um, which makes you second highest. Is that is it Mr. Patterson just above you, or uh, who's the man that holds the uh, the top spot? 
Yeah, he got it in one, Mr. Parson. He, uh, he got a few more caps than me as well and a few more points, but certainly not, not too bad a guy to be sitting behind. You spent a couple of seasons with Clermont, uh, one of the real big superpowers uh, in French club rugby. I mean, having played alongside so many great French players, have you noticed a real shift in mentality? Because they were never the fittest guys to play international rugby, which is probably why they produce moments of brilliance, but they can never be consistent enough. You're probably still in touch with guys out there. Have you noticed a shift when you were playing there? Yeah, de- definitely. The guys that, that you can see are coming and challenging to be in that French squad. I think they they now realise from that sort of current group of players that if you're not going to be that type of athlete now, you're not going to get anywhere near that team. And I think that's probably the, the level of uh, professionalism and always probably almost the change or the biggest change, I guess, that that French setups made probably you know, under Bernard Laporte, under uh, Fabien Galtier, and, you know, and probably somebody like Sean Edwards as well, I guess. But and um, you know, so that that's one area of the game that they've really made massive strides. And I think, you know, touching on Sean Edwards, you know, that defensive part of the game sometimes that maybe go missing in France. You know, yeah. certainly when I was there as well, they, they always had that attacking side of their game, which was awesome to watch. But the I think they're sort of really marrying up the, the two sides of their game now at the moment and, and they're realising, you know, how, how to go and win games of rugby. Particularly away from home where they they seem to have found a way of, of, of taking a bit more concentration away from home. We're going to we're gonna focus now on on what was an amazing weekend, amazing tournament actually, um, as, as I'm sure you'll all agree. Simon, um, before we talk about the game in Paris, um, and yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm, uh, that there's, there's too much joy in my my voice because there's not. But but Wales um, finally getting beaten by Italy and Italy finally winning a game of rugby after what was it seven years? Uh, brilliant, and I think it it was a result that Italy obviously massively needed, um, but even more so because we've had the past few months of this looming figure of South Africa and the Springboks and relegation and changing the format bubbling away. And yeah. if ever Italy needed a result to remind them of their contributions to the Six Nations, of the progress they're making, this was exactly it. What Italy are trying to do and how they're trying to change the game is going to take time. It's not something that they can transform overnight. Oh, just, the, I mean, the drama. I mean, Greg, I, I don't know if you were able to catch the game or you saw it, but, uh, you know, the Padovani try at the end. I mean, there was Josh Adams, obviously, the touch from him to, uh, you know, to take his, uh, you know, his player of the match award, which would have probably gone straight into the skip, I'd imagine. Uh, and give it to uh, was it to Capuzzo the uh, the the, the fullback who who, who who made that incredible break. Yeah. How good was it for for the championship? You know the Six Nations is you can see that they're, they're starting to just get the uh, you know almost the the flickers of a bit of light in a, yeah. in and amongst their squad. A young captain and um, and Lamaro there. You know Kieran Crowley's came in. He's a tough uh, head coach, I would imagine, and they needed change, um, but. I just thought they really played well. I think, you know, Caprozzo, the, the young 15, at one, that time they, they run it out behind their own try line, give it to Ioane, and he runs away. And, mm. and I think in the past, you'd never see Italy do that. They just always went for the safe option. And I, yeah. you can really see them trying to change their game a little bit. I mean, what just Greg, in terms of Wales, you've seen a fair bit of them over the championship as well. Are they kind of stuck a little bit in that transition? They've had loads of injuries, I know that. Um, and they've they've had to cope with those. I think Dan Biggers really stood up, but uh, they've obviously got the likes of Alan Wynn. You know, are they just maybe stuck a little bit in transition at the minute? Yeah, I think that's the right word to, to describe Wales. To, to be honest, I think they're you know uh, Pivax came in and he, he's probably looking to try and change the way they, they play a little bit. And I think 
there's probably still got one maybe foot in, in the camp from, from when Warren Garland was there, uh, you know, and almost transition a little bit. So the, the game's probably not 100% sure or, or probably all of the players are not on the same page. So that's going to take them a little bit of time. That They're probably better to have these struggles now in, in terms of World Cup cycles. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. We're going to, we're going to move on to, to, to your team, Scotland. Uh, and and Ireland. I mean, Simon. I, I would imagine you know Ireland obviously won quite comfortably in the end, twenty six five, wasn't it? Where they were fourteen five ahead at half time. They've they've wrapped up the uh, the triple crown, which uh, uh, in all the um, celebrations in Paris often gets unnoticed. You know, it's still a tangible trophy, um, and they were only a few points away from France. And I think we all understand that Ireland and France probably. Uh, were playing at a level above everyone else in the tournament. That's certainly my my impression. Yeah, I think Ireland will, will be pleased with the work they've done, and and I agree with you. I think there's a, there's a clear you know line in the sand between Ireland and France and the rest of the Six Nations, and that was underlined by that game in Paris. I think I don't think we saw a game in the tournament that was played at that physicality, that level of quality, and that pace as as that match was, and they really showed. France and Ireland, how they're ahead of everyone else. I think for Ireland as well, you know, I was, I was looking at the results and it reminded me a little bit of 2018 where they had that brilliant year and there was the sort of debate around, oh, you know, Ireland have maybe peaked too early ahead of the World Cup. I think now, in terms of pacing it, since how that squad has grown since Japan, they're getting it absolutely spot on, I think, because the, you can see each year they're getting better, but they're not, you're not, not at their max. There's players in that squad who can improve. There's players who can get better. So I think they're in a really ideal spot. Greg, I'm, I'm going to go to Scotland. Once again, the campaign, has, you know, started with a bang. You know, maybe playing England, I know it mean, to beat England means an awful lot to Scotland. Um, and often it's it can be the game that kind of almost sets the expectations. You, you, you achieve that and you've had a good tournament if you beat England. But uh, I'm slightly baffled yesterday. Finn Russell started on the bench, obviously. Um, that relationship is a good one with him and his coach. But uh, he's had sort of up and down moments in this tournament as well. Um, but it just seemed to... Um, not quite end the way that Scotland wanted it to, really. Yeah, I was, you know, sitting down before before I came on and, you know, really tried to, you know, think about each game Scotland went through, uh, Lawrence. And I think in many sort of ways, they probably could have lost our first game against England. They didn't actually have to play that well to beat England in that game. I mean, they had a couple of moments of brilliance from Finn, which kind of turned the game for them and won the game. But I think maybe they got a bit carried away with the fact that they were probably better than they thought they were and they're not as bad as people think they are sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I know, knowing the group and stuff, I, I would like to think like that wasn't the case in terms of not getting too far ahead of themselves. And for me, it's, a, it's, the, it's the Welsh game really that sort of sticks in my mind. You know, we've talked about, you know, Ireland and France probably being the two teams that are out in front at the moment, which which is yeah. probably true. Uh, you know, we'll get well beaten by France. But, you know, after after having a, a good start against England, going down to, to Wales, and we just never really got going at all. And for me, it was, I think, Scotland have been the most penalised team in, in the tournament. And, and that game sort of summed it up. You know, we're right in the game. It was a tight test match. In, in that sort of period, you know, 40 minutes to 60 minutes, we just started giving crazy penalties away. If there are positives... And there's always positives to take out of Scotland's kind of overall campaign. Um, what, what, what were the players that you thought stood out? I really like the look of this guy, Darge, in, in the back row. Uh, is it Rory? Rory, Rory Darge, yeah, in the back row. I think he he looks like a really good quality player. Yeah, he is. He's real, real tough sort of boy. He's a young kid, but he's, you know, he's real brave already in, in his career. And I think, you know, him moving to Glasgow and getting a lot of game time is really going to help. So Scotland finished just below England, but but level on points, having having beaten England themselves. 
Uh, and that's probably a nice segue into our final match, Simon. Uh, you were there. I mean, uh, uh, France have, a bit like England, England before they won the World Cup years ago, were a bit of a sleeping giant, really. They, you know, everyone always knows that they've got huge resources, a lot of, lot of players, a lot of money. And if, if we ever got our act together, that we could actually potentially challenge the best teams in the world. And I think for a while, we certainly did get our act together. And France have always sort of been in that camp as well. We've seen how brilliant they could be, but they never seemed to be that aligned between what they were trying to achieve in club rugby and, and the national level. Bernard Laporte's changed that. He's put a pretty strong coaching team in there. And having you know missed out on the last couple of championships, you know they finally got over the line, albeit... They started really nervously, actually, in the game itself. And they made some funny substitutions at key times in the game. But, uh, you know, credit where credit's due. I never particularly liked that stadium. Not because I won there, I lost there. But it always felt a bit soulless, really, actually, compared to going to play club rugby at, say, Claremont or Toulouse or whatever. But actually, I've never experienced anything like it in my life on on uh, Saturday night. The, the French anthem sung the loudest I've ever heard it. Um, and the kind of rock and roll atmosphere that they brought to their rugby uh, and to their thing, and the connection between the, the players and the actual fans now, particularly in Paris, was was just extraordinary. What what are your reflections from a French point of view, Simon, on that on on what you saw on Saturday night? It was a great night, wasn't it? And you, you talk about that connection they got with the fans. Um, you know, a few of the French newspapers you could sort of see. As you arrived into Paris, it was all on the front page. And I think it was L'Equipe who sort of had the headline of, you know, everyone behind France. And it seems like this whole team has properly unified, unified the country and the atmosphere. Sometimes with these, you know, in the new sort of era, they try and sort of manufacture and whip up the atmosphere, which in Venice they did quite well before kickoff. Yeah. But the best bit was that, that anthem when they just literally cut the music and just let those players on the pitch singing the anthem here, the 80,000, the Stade de France belting it back to them. And if that didn't, you know, get them pumped up, I don't know, I don't know what would. There, there were a few nerves. You could see that with some of the handling errors, some odd decisions, sort of kicking at goal from in their own half. You could probably forgive them for that, given it was 12-year wait for a grand I mean, they did, out. yeah, you could see, they did They did get nervy. I mean, they could have cut England mm. apart in the opening few minutes and, and you know, Fiku, and there was a lot of handling errors. But as you say, then I suppose, as, as Greg will, will will testify, as I will, when the game you know starts to move to the second half, they they, they suddenly shut up shop and were mm. box kicking the ball everywhere. And and as you say, they were going, they went for a penalty, long range penalty, which was even Johnny looked at him and thought, well, that's a strange decision. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then they went for a drop goal at one point. So, but you can see that nerves do affect you know mm. even the even the very best of teams. And England got within touching distance somehow uh, of France, and then. Dupont, you know, comes up with the, with the moment of the game. And I suppose that's what the best players do. Yeah, it's incredible. And it was England had that sort of 20-minute period after half-time where they needed to, if they were going to get back into this match, strike. You know, Freddie Stewart did brilliantly. Don Brandt held up. And then mm. the first time sort of France get into that 22, Dupont, you know, breaking, goes past Ben Youngs, Jamie George, and just turns the game like that. And Eddie Jones was making the point in his... Um, Six Nations debrief on on Sunday with the media that you know England actually spent more sort of time in in France's twenty two, but the difference was just how clinical France were when they were when they were in England. And Dupont yeah. summed that up perfectly. And I mean, what a player they've got there! Yeah. But he's got that sort of figure, and he's there's just an aura about him. And at, at twenty five years of age, it's quite scary to think. Well, I know. I mean, listen, yeah, Greg. F- final bit on France. I mean, congratulations. They thoroughly deserved it. But the 
you know, the, I mean, as a, as a player who played in that position yourself, I mean, him and one or two others, he's just extraordinary the way he plays the game, but also the age profile of this French team. They made some really significant decisions, brutal decisions to cull anyone over 30, um, which probably would have seen me never win a World Cup if those decisions had been made. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it is quite brutal, but maybe they thought that they needed to do something that extreme. Now, this is a team that if they they finally won something tangible for all their efforts, you know, they they probably should have won last year. They blew it against Wales. The prop obviously got sent off against Scotland, but they've now got over the line. And this is an age profile, a team that is probably in its 20s, you know, DuPont 26, there's some... You know, Fiku's yeah. only only 27, 28. So it looks like it's it's going to be strong for, for many years to come. Yeah, it does. They're, they're set up really nicely now. They've got a real sort of strong core of of players or, you know, backbone throughout the team, whatever you want to call it. And good connections as well, I think. You know, throughout the team, some guys obviously play at the same club, obviously key positions, DuPont, Antimac, guys like that form and strong combinations, which, which really helps as well. I think if you're all on the same page and, and you understand the way each other play, Simon, on to England. Um, I mean, let's be honest, uh, despite, I mean, you've heard from Eddie Jones now in the press conference and, you know, he, he's tried to paint the, the rosiest of pictures, but it's a it's a disappointing campaign for England. I mean, but for, for if it hadn't have been for Italy's um, victory, England probably would have finished even lower down the table. It's another um, sort of losing campaign that didn't start well and, and didn't finish well. But ironically, they probably saved their best performance of the tournament until the very final game. And the last two games where they've played the two best teams, they've actually played OK or played better than than, than most. But, uh, you know, there is some serious fault lines in that team and, and that squad. And anyone who doesn't think there is, um, is, is living in cloud cuckoo land. I mean, to score uh, uh, only two tries in in three games and generally play the way they've played, I think fans have got every right to to ask the question. Now, we've heard a, an RFU statement this morning, obviously no name to it, as usual, saying that they think that this England team is making solid progress. Uh, um, and then they were suggesting that, that Eddie is building a new team against a clear strategy. Um, now, I would argue that I haven't seen a hugely clear strategy. Well, I think... I think Eddie was, as you say, he was trying to paint a very positive picture, um, saying he's never been this excited about the team going forward, which is in stark contrast, I think, with a lot of supporters who are pretty disillusioned about about what they saw. And, and the main, you know, frustration and gripe is that before this tournament, we would, you know, we talked about this New England brave new attack with Marcus Smith as the number ten, and they finished up with eight tries, five of those coming against Italy. Uh, the bottom of the whole championship, the tackle's broken. Um, and you, you could see on, on Saturday, you looked at France and that team is so settled. You know pretty much what the 15 is going to be, consistent. Um, and England's just been so much chopping and changing during this championship, particularly in the midfield. Um, I don't think you can get away from the Manu Tulangi-shaped hole that is there. As much as the RFU, I think, you know, can say there's been good progress and positive steps um, I think they've stagnated over the past two months. Yeah, I mean, I I, I couldn't believe in, and, and Greg will back me up on this. I mean, I think France used to do what England are doing now. They used to chop and change their team. You know, they'd react awfully. If there was a defeat, they'd, they'd change like four or five players in the team. Um, and then you sort of think to yourself, that, well, that's not going to solve any problems because you need to trust a group of players that they're eventually going to come good. I mean, Greg and I both played along lots of Test rugby. We didn't always play that well, 
but you need the trust that you're going to come good when it when it matters, you know, and 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 that's what we did. And you know, the other thing that France used to do is they used to pick players out of position. And Greg will know this from his time at Claremont. And you you, you got you know, we had a guy like Michelac, who's a really good 10, and they used to pick him at nine. And then you had a guy like Harry Nordeke, who was a really good number eight, and they'd pick him at seven. And you look at the team sheet and you think, what, what are they doing? And, you know, thank God they've done that. And I just think that France have started to behave like England, you know, uh, used to. They got fitter, they've got their club rugby sorted out, they've, they're picking the right players in the right positions. And England are behaving like France, you know, where they're chopping and changing their team and they're picking players out of position, I mean, I don't think Max Malins is a wing. Um, so I don't think that that was, you know, not at an international level. I think he's a fullback. Um, I certainly believe that Tom Curry's not a number eight. I think he's a number seven. You know, there's lots of things. And I think it's hard when you're, when you're not playing in a position week in, week out and your national coach comes up to you and says, look, we want to pick you there. You're not going to say, no, I think that's a terrible idea. You're just going to do what he says. So I do think there's some problems there. And um, Greg, Greg, I'd love to get your, you know, I wouldn't say impartial view because I'm sure you're not that. I'm sure you're not that uh, uh, displeased with the fact that England are struggling uh, because we've, you know, we've uh, we've caused you a lot of pain over the years. But but what's your take on on it from a from a coaching and a player perspective? When I look at England, they almost have a mentality to kick first, you know, rather rather than play like you see. And I think now with the with the sort of the makeup of the players you've got, you know, Smith, uh, you know, Slade, uh, you know, Harry Randall. And even somebody like Ellis Gensch, who was, you know, he's outstanding on the weekend, to be fair to him, in terms of carrying the ball and stuff. You know, you, there's not too many loose head props that can that can do that. Or Kyle Sinclair, you know, he's obviously on the tight head as well, but he can carry the ball. And I think even looking back to that Scotland game, you know, England had us on the ropes a couple of times j- just to run the ball. I think they had numbers up. Almost, it's almost like ingrained into them a little bit to, to kick first. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'd love to be a fly on the wall because if you're a senior player in that group, after that Scotland game, you, you go and speak to the coach and you say, would you like to explain why you took Marcus Smith off after uh, uh, when Scotland was still ahead? Uh, I'm sorry, when, when England were ahead. And, he, uh, you know, admittedly, he missed a kick to touch. I mean, were you that angry with him that you took him off then? It's such a pivotal position, as, as you know, Lawrence. And, you know, it's the equivalent of the quarterback, isn't it, in, in, in NFL? And, and, you know, you, when, you're, when you're on the money, when you're playing well, you, yeah. you just don't want to come off. And it's such a hard job to come on as well. Or the guy coming off the bench to get up to speed. We both know what it takes to get to the international team. And when you get there, you just want to be able to reach your potential when you play. And I just think that there's a lot more that those players have got to give. And I think the job of, of Eddie Jones and the RFU is to unlock that. But I suppose if your coaching team keeps changing every couple of years, then there's going to be a bit of an inconsistent message and a bit of confusion amongst the group. Simon, just reflecting on their campaign, you've heard from Eddie. Do you think that things will change? I can see them improving um, simply because the, the, the level at the moment is so low. But the issue for me is, is I came away on Saturday and thinking yeah, this England team can get better and they have to. But are they going to get better than France? And a France is going to stay where they are? Because you looked at the, the levels those two sides are on and it was, it was impossible not to think of there that France team coming back in 18 months time, home crowd, country completely unified and sort of being one of the contenders that World Cup, I think England will be able to improve, but to go from where they are to now, to, you know, to world champions is a huge leap. And, and Eddie did make the point saying, oh, well, you know, no one fancied South Africa at this point out from the last World Cup, but he did leave out the point that South Africa changed, <laughs> changed the coach. Um, <laughs> quite and also, and also but, look, you know, many of us realised in the last, in the build-up to the last World Cup that, 
you know, that it was pretty clear that Mike Brown and, say, Dylan Hartley were never going to play in the World Cup. So why did it take him uh, so long to to cut ties and, and to let them go? Now, is Ben Young's going to be England scrum half in the World Cup? I mean, you know, I, I love Ben Young's as a bloke and as a player and, and congratulations to him for winning, you know, for becoming England's record cap player. But, you know, if you know that this that the players are not going to be part of your plans in the World Cup, then surely you've got to let them go. And, and you've got to time that reset. And that was that was something that was put to Eddie saying, in hindsight, do you think maybe should have done what France did and after the World Cup in 2019, been like, right, OK, this is it, the line the sand moment. Let's reset and bring the new players through. And Eddie said, well, you know, we won the 2026 20, Nations, so there was still a bit more to come out of the group. That was an odd Six Nations given COVID and the stop-start nature of it. But I do think then if, you know, the reset then comes in 2021, you're giving yourself sort of two years to do it, um, makes it very difficult. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride. Now it's time um, for us to decide who we think was the outstanding player from the weekend I'm going to take uh, my pick now because otherwise one of you will take it from me I'm going to pick it's more of a sporting gesture really from uh, from Josh Adams um, I think in the moment to have done that was was superb really to pass his, his medal over to Capuzzo um, and it just goes to show that uh, even in all the emotion of sport that there is still gentlemen out there who, who do the right thing so Josh Adams will be my outstanding uh, player of the weekend, um, Greg. On the field, in terms of the play, what what who, who really caught your eye? I think Josh Adams had a pretty pretty good game as well. To be fair, I mean, look, yeah, he did. Uh, an open player, besides uh, giving his medal away, I think I'm going to have to go for uh, Dupont. Yeah. Uh, as, as you called it before, Lance, he was he's been that good throughout the championship. Not only you know uh, you know in a pivotal position, but leading the team as well. And, and just for him to score that try at a crucial time at the weekend. Um, and I think you can see how connected he is to, to to France, to the supporters, and everything as well. He's he's just awesome to watch. Yeah, listen, I think that's a that's a really really good selection. Simon, is there anyone uh, any different, or are you gone for a Frenchman as well? I've got going for a Frenchman. I, I thought Gregory Audrey um, was brilliant again on on Saturday. He's probably my my player of the tournament overall. Um, I just think with and without the ball, brilliant player, and and also that little relationship he's got with. With Dupont, um, seems crucial to France. Outstanding choices, gentlemen. We'll raise a, 
pint of London Pride or, or, or maybe a few more actually to uh, to them so uh, so thank you for that Over the line or in the bin with Fuller's London Pride the official beer of Premiership Rugby We do try and introduce something called Rugby Trivia uh, just to try and te- um, educate our listeners on one thing that they didn't know already and Simon you're in charge it's called Over the Line or in the Bin Greg and I um, probably won't know the answer but we'll guess um, I've been okay. guessing all the way through this podcast series and Somehow I've managed to get myself into a position where I've guessed a few correctly, but uh, just explain to to us what your question is this week. Yeah, so obviously with uh, England v Scotland, with you two guys on the pod, it's a Calcutta theme. Uh, Lawrence obviously representing England and Greg representing Scotland. So we've this year was the 129th Calcutta Cup between England and Scotland. And the question we have this week is a bit different to you, but we want to know how many times has the Calcutta Cup been tied? And the nearest answer will be over the line and will be correct. And the furthest answer will be in the bin. Well, listen, as uh, as um, as Greg has, has um, you know, reversed the charges from Japan um, and uh, he's online, I think, uh, <laughs> I think it's, only fair that I let, it's only fair that I let him go first. And he's uh, probably, probably nearing his bedtime now anyway. So uh, I, shall, uh, I shall let him go first. I'm going to say seven. What are we going for, Lawrence? I wouldn't say it's that many, but I think it might be a few more than seven. Um, so I'm going to go over the line means more than seven, does it? I don't know. But I'm going to go more than seven over the line. Um, and let's see where we are with that. Yeah, the correct answer was 16 draws. Over the line. Wow. 16. That's yeah. a lot. I mean, I was going to say under 20. I thought it was under 20, but mm-hmm. I didn't think it was uh, it, it was under 10. So uh, I was going to go somewhere in between there. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. I just want to have a very quick uh, preview of our Gallagher Premiership um, uh, weekend round of fixtures because it is getting down to the business end. Gloucester, Worcester, Wasp, Newcastle, Barsale, London Irish, Northampton, Saracens, Bristol, Exeter, Leicester, Obviously, Fuller's London Pride, official beer of the Premiership Rugby now. So we're very excited by that. Um, someone who has played for Gloucester for a few years, Greg, you had some great times down at, down there. Looks like the good times are starting to return. It's, uh, it's great to see your old club doing really well again. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? And uh, it's brilliant for me to look back. I think, you know, somebody like Alex Brown as well is still involved in, in the club and, you know, really sort of made my time a lot better down there and really enjoyed his company as a good man and, uh, it's awesome to see Gloucester doing really well. They seem to have a, a real vision uh, and a, that sort of real connection to the players and, and the players are a real connection to the supporters. So, as you know, Gloucester's a massive rugby town and, and once they get that roll on, uh, you know, certainly away teams going to Kings on, they really don't like it. And I think the fact that they've got the, the new pitch as well and the sort of brand of rugby they're really playing, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of all coming together. So, you know, I really wish them well for for the rest of the season. And Simon, for you, I mean, without going through every single fixture, I mean, London Irish, obviously, another game at home to Northampton. They, they're just having a, a well, a, a fantastic season. The new stadium, loading new players, playing a really exciting brand of rugby. Um, Quinns get a rest weekend this weekend, but they, they, you know, they've been going well. And obviously, we've got the likes of, uh, of Saracens and Leicester, who still look to me to be the two top teams. And then you've got the kind of Quinns and London Irish who who play a slightly different brand of rugby, probably similar to each other, um, who look like they could be the challengers. Well, you know, where, what's the standout fixture for you? I'm, I'm at Saracens Bristol. So uh, I think that game is at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, mm. So 
uh, I'm uh, I'm heading that way. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great week. I mean, for London Irish, um, it's their St. Paddy's Day game, which is the first one they've had with fans in the new stadium. So lots going on there, um, plenty of fans down there. And I think it'll be a great a great atmosphere, really. Um, as you say, they're, they're a team that are sort of, the style of rugby this season, I think, has uh, really, really been enjoyable to watch. And, and I spoke to Ollie Hassel-Collins the other day for, for an interview running before it. He just said that the, the unity those guys have got there, just absolutely loving it and the spirit they've had. And we were talking a bit about wingers early in England, you know, needing some ball carriers. Well, Hassel Collins wouldn't have been a bad option if Eddie was looking for, for a big guy to carry well, it well, up. Well, he, so. he plays on the wing, so that's a good start. <laughs> so I think that'll be a great one on, on Saturday. And then on Sunday, um, you know, Chiefs, Leicester Tigers, that, that top four race um, is really hot enough. And this is when the season, you know, goes up a gear, isn't it? When the Six Nations is done, England players are back. And um, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see who, who sneaks into those semi-finals. Greg, now listen, a little birdie tells me you've been learning a bit of Japanese. So we're, we're going to allow you to sign off and, and say goodbye to Simon and I in Japanese. You must have learned a ton. <laughs> you must have learned a few words by now. Um, and if, you, well, if, if it's disastrous, then we'll edit it out. Don't you worry. But if it's, <laughs> if it's, if it's any good, uh, I need you just to say goodbye to Simon and I in your best Japanese. Oh, there you go. I've, I've had a, a lot of fun and a lot of laughs in my, in my Japanese lessons with with a few other foreign boys, but I have picked up a, a couple of words. So, Yoroshiko um, Nagaishimasu, sayonara. Ah, wonderful. Look at that. And, and Simon, <laughs> he could have said absolutely anything and we wouldn't have understood a word he said then. And there is the beauty of... Uh, of being uh, in Japan and speaking Japanese. Well done, Greg. That was outstanding. Uh, thanks all for this episode of Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast. Enormous thanks to Greg for dialing over from Tokyo, uh, to Greg Laidlaw and to Simon Collins for uh, being coherent, sober and sensible enough to have recovered from uh, another Six Nations campaign and an Eddie Jones 8am Six Nations debrief. So thanks to Simon and thank you to you guys for listening. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back next week with more club rugby action. See you then. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.